John chapter 1. Next week we'll start a, just a two-week series on Christmas, and uh, we'll be going over some Christmas messages, some even from this gospel, but I pray that you'll be, you're, you're praying how to have an impact this holiday season. There's a lot of people that are hurting, there's a lot of people that are lonely, there's a lot of people that are um, depressed. And it doesn't take much to get that done, but and just a kind word, maybe a gospel track, uh, maybe a reminder of what this holiday is about will speak truth to their heart, and we pray that they would be able to uh, be encouraged and be ultimately brought to the Savior um, as their only hope. Well, this morning I want to read for us out of John chapter 1, so I ask if you would stand. And I'm going to read the same passage I read last week because we didn't get through the whole thing. So we're going to start in verse 19, John chapter 1, verse 19, as we look at this message, Behold the Lamb of God, the second part of it. John writes, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. And John answered, said to them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus come toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, and I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him, and I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we pray in these moments together in your word that we would see the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, very clear. As we approach this holiday Christmas season where we celebrate his birth, his incarnation, Father, we pray that we may look for ways to reach out and have the message upon our hearts that John had. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We pray you bless this to our hearts and our minds. Now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we began this message and we said we were going to go over two things. That John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord in verses 19 to 28, and we've pretty much got through most of that. We're going to revisit that a little bit today. And then secondly, today we're going to look at he proclaimed the true identity of Jesus Christ and just kind of see how this can be applied to us. But last week we noticed this background on John the Baptist 
Um, we gave you some of that, as Ken did when he taught as well. But the first thing we noticed here, that he, was, he had to deal with these priests and these Levites who were sent from the Pharisees from Jerusalem. And we noticed how he, he, he dealt with them uh, last week. They emphasized what? They emphasized an uh, outward uh, law kind of mentality. You had to do certain things to earn God's favor. And John came along and said, look, it's not so much about what you're doing outwardly, but it's where is your heart? And that's true for any one of us. Where is our heart? Are we serving the Lord with the proper motive? Are we serving the Lord from our heart? Or are we just serving the Lord because we want people to see us doing it? Very important. And so he, he emphasized, John the Baptist emphasized an inward repentance. And we went over that last week. But he also, secondly, and this is review, he denied that he was the Messiah. He denied to them that he was Elijah or the prophet. He wasn't denying that he was a prophet. He was an Old Testament prophet. But he wasn't the prophet. He wasn't the Lord, is what he was saying. These are all ways of insinuating the Messiah, Elijah, the prophet. They're all ways of saying the same thing. Are you the one that God promised us? And John says, no, I'm not. There's one that comes after me. And he described himself as this voice out in the wilderness. His method was a voice crying out in the, mid- the wilderness. He was a little odd, dressed in camel hair, eating locusts and honey. Probably didn't have a shower, probably stunk. And he was out there, kind of, a lot of people thought he was a madman. But that was the method that he proclaimed God's voice as he was instructed. And his message was simply, make straight what? The, the way of the Lord. And there's two ideas here. We went over those last week. First of all, John was called upon by God to make a straight path, kind of like a, a direct path to the Lord. And today we get this all messed up with all kinds of religious tradition, and it was true back then too. The Pharisees created all these antics that you had to do, uh, things you had to do before God, before God would look on you favorably. And we do the same thing today in our churches and in our different world religions. Everybody has their little list of things that you should do or God won't like you. And that's just not what the gospel says. Uh, Part of our role in this world, especially this time of year, is to be voices, amen, voices of truth that speak God's word, to tell people the truth, to straighten the way to the Lord for them. So they can very clearly see that there is only one God in heaven and there is only one mediator to that God and that is the Lord Jesus Christ who came and was born of a virgin here on on earth. He lived for 30 some years, a perfect life, sinless in every way and he freely offered up his life as a sacrifice for all those who would put their faith and trust in him as their Lord and Savior. Believing that he died for them, believing that on the third day he rose from the dead. And if you trust him here today as your Lord and Savior, he will save you. This is a promise that comes directly from Scripture. And so John wanted to be very frank, very straight with his message, because the way to, the, the, the way to God had gotten so crooked, and it was going off on all different paths away from the Lord. Acts of righteousness will not save you. Baptism will not save you. Church membership will not save you. Being a good person will not save you. Why? Because you can't be good enough. We're all born with sin. 
We're all tainted in a myriad of ways. So John came to make that way straight. But the second idea here is that he deals with the person's heart who's hearing the message. John is a preacher. He's out there preaching in the wilderness. And he's telling people, look, you need to get your hearts right. You need to be prepared because I'm here as the forerunner to the one who was promised by God. And so he is here amongst you. And we saw where he he clearly stated that. And so that's why they were attacking him because it didn't line up with their religious ideas. They thought, why are you doing this, John? We know who you are. We know that you're the son of the prophet in Jerusalem. Why are you out here dressed the way you are? You, You look like a raging maniac. And the message you bring, we don't really appreciate because it's really criticizing what we all believe. And this is, he says, he says in verse 23, you know what? I'm just doing what the prophet Isaiah told me to do, what God told me to do, what the prophet Isaiah uh, prophesied. And that should be our motivation, right? We shouldn't be here to impress people. We shouldn't be here to woo people, to, to placate people. We're here to what? Obey God. We're here to teach people, to tell people the truth of the Word of God. Sometimes that truth can be offensive. Sometimes that truth can cause people to be angry. But you know what? That doesn't mean we shy from sharing it. We share it in love. We share it graciously. But we don't back away from what God says because whatever the Bible says, that should be our motivation. That should be what we teach, what we live. And this is what John is, is trying to do here. And the fourth thing here, basically, was that he, he describes um, his, his himself as a voice, but then the fourth thing was he discussed water baptism. And I want to spend a little time here, because I didn't really get into it last week, but he discussed water baptism. Look at verse 24, John 1, 24. They said, now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, then why are you baptizing? What's that question? Why are they asking that? Well, he tells us, it's right here in our our text. Um, Why in the world would they be so upset that John's out there in the wilderness? He's not doing it in Jerusalem outside the temple. He's out in the wilderness, away from everyone. And he's baptizing these people. Well, why would they be all upset about him baptizing anyone? Well, there's a couple reasons. First of all, this is not Christian baptism. It's not because they were Christians that he was baptizing them. And it's not even uh, Jewish proselyte baptism. It's not that. See, a lot of people don't understand this, but Jews are not baptized. They don't have to be baptized. They are uh, part of, of Judaism by right of circumcision. They're already part of the Messianic hope in their belief. They never get baptized. So you can imagine, on that account alone, they're upset at John the Baptist because he's out here in the wilderness, and who's he baptizing? Well, he's baptizing some Jews. And they're going, who do you think you are? You say you're not the Messiah. You say you're not Elijah. You say you're not the prophet, all meaning the same thing. He denies it three times, says, no, I'm not that. There's one coming after me. That's the one you want to look to. Then why is he out here baptizing? Jews are sons of Abraham. 
They're part of Judaism by right of circumcision. They never get baptized. And all these people who are in the area for the Passover, thousands and thousands and millions of people, really, John 2.13 tells us that the feast of the Passover is near. So the population of this area just swells during this time. And as a Jew, whenever you go to a Passover, this is just one of, of three feasts that you have to attend if you're 20 years old or older. You have to. This is part of your religious beliefs. And during this time, they whitewash all the sepulchers, all the, the tombs. And you can't go near them. You can't touch them because then you couldn't go uh, to, the, to participate in the feast because you'd be desecrated. But they whitewash them so you can see them, so they can stay away from them. And they clean everything. They clean the whole place up. I mean, it's literally almost spotless. But during this time, many people come. And sometimes they come weeks ahead of time. And I'm just trying to give you a picture of this venue that John is doing this in. And you know what? They come weeks ahead of time and they're going to stay a long time. Possibly months. They have the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. is another week after Passover, so they have to go to that. And then they also have the Feast of the First Fruits. And then, a few days down the line, you also have Pentecost, which they have to go to Pentecost. So you can imagine, if you came all the way from Iraq or, or Persia, maybe, to come as a Jew and celebrate these feasts, you wouldn't just come for Passover and leave. You would stay. You would stay for a couple months and get all these events out of the way while you're in the area. You're not going to run back and forth. They didn't have trains and planes and automobiles back then. You're going to hang around until the Feast of Tabernacles is done, and then it's all completed, then you can go home. So they're going to be there for a long time. And in the course of that, they get there early, they're, they're hustle and bustle around Jerusalem, and there's talk. There's talk to all these millions of people who've come there, and they say, hey, if you want to do something, because the feasts really haven't started yet, if you want to do something, you've got to check out this guy 18 miles south of Jerusalem, down to Jericho. You're not going to believe what's going on down there. You've got to go check it out for yourselves. So that's why all these people from Jerusalem, we're making this track down to see this sideshow out in the wilderness named John the Baptist. This man who took a Nazarite vow, he's the son of a priest here in Jerusalem, now he's out there in the wilderness, and people are coming to him, and he's screaming with a message, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's preaching like preaching you never heard. You're not going to hear this in the temple. You've got to go see this guy. And by the way, you might want to take a towel and some soap with you as well because he's going to baptize you when you get there. Why would people who didn't believe they needed to be baptized go down there in their robe and in their sandals with a bar of soap and get into that? Look, I, I've been baptized in the Jordan. It's filthy. It's disgusting. I beelined it for the showers when we got out. As soon as we got out, man, I, just, I didn't even wait for the other people to be baptized. I was in the shower. It's disgusting. And it was even worse back then, probably. Why would they do this? Why would they 
take this long track, 18 miles, walking on these dusty paths, get there, go in this polluted river, be baptized by John the Baptist, this man in camel hair, and odd. And then you have to think about it. They didn't have showers. It's not like you go to the, now they have showers there on the Jordan. You know, after you get out, you go take a shower. But they didn't have those back then. So you had to walk all the way back, 18 miles on these sandy, dusty roads, being wet and the, the dust clinging to your robes. And it'd be horrible. It just gives me the EBGBs just thinking about it. Where's the shower? This is what's happening. And sometimes it's good to put yourself in the moment. And John the Baptist is reaching, the Bible says, to all the lands of Judea, all Jerusalem is coming to him. And they're confessing their sins, there's tears of repentance, and people are getting right with the Lord. And now he's, he's baptizing them. And that was an issue. Not only would a Jew never get baptized, but even if you were a proselyte to Judaism, because they have to be baptized, but guess what? You're not baptized by anybody. You baptize yourself. If you want to become a Jew, that's part of the process. You baptize yourself. You get in a pool of water and you go under the water and, and, and it's basically a sign. It's a significant symbol. And they're saying, hey, wait a minute. Who gave you the right to do this? If you don't think you're the Messiah, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet, then why are you baptizing all these people, John? Because a Gentile proselyte, when he becomes a Jew, he has to get baptized, but he baptizes himself. We don't baptize him. Nobody does it to you. You do it to yourself. So even in the way he was doing it, it was wrong in their mind. And they asked him, why are you doing this? These aren't Gentiles. All, by the way, some of them are Jews. Why are these Jews being baptized? That's the question. And he said, it's a baptism of what? What's he say? Repentance. It's a baptism of repentance. What's that mean? It's a picture of cleansing from sin. That's what baptism is. It's a picture that you've been cleansed by the Lord from your sin. It doesn't cleanse you. It's a picture of the Lord cleansing us. And what, what's going on here is, is John is pointing to these men who came to him from the Pharisees and said, hey, you know what? You guys are into this external religion stuff. But God's not into that. God's into what's in your heart. And the baptism is a, is a picture of water that pictures the cleansing of a person from sin. And that's what's happening here. John's getting them ready for the coming of the Messiah. I say all that because there's some people that are Baptist. I came out of a, a Baptist church after I got saved. I got, I got saved out of the Catholic church, and then early on in my education, I was in, in the Baptist churches and things like that, and nothing wrong with that. But some Baptists are so Baptist, they think John the Baptist started the church. Now, who started the church? Christ. We know that. Jesus Christ, our Lord, started the church. John, Bap John the Baptist didn't start the church. He was long dead and gone by the church, by the time the church was ever born. The church was not 
born until the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. John did not, John the Baptist did not start the church. But John is one of the last Old Testament prophets who was what? Preparing the way, preparing the people of God for the coming of the Messiah. That's what his role was. And you say, well, what about this baptism then? Well, look at what it says in verse 26. Because John answers them. He says, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. We mentioned this last week, but that's still an amazing thought to me that Jesus Christ was standing right there amongst them. The Messiah, the Son of God, incarnate God. And they had no clue. They had no clue. He was standing right amongst the people who were sent from the Pharisees. What was he doing? I don't know. He was watching what was going on. He was watching what the people were asking John. He was listening to it all. He was just standing there simply. Nobody knew he was there. You say, well, didn't, didn't he go over and say hi to John? I mean, he knew John well. They were cousins. They were only six months apart. Maybe he gave him a thumbs up from the crowd. Good, way to go. Good message, John. I don't know. I, it doesn't tell us. But nobody knows he's there. And John tells him, there's one standing right among you, and you don't even know him. What's he doing? He's setting them up. He's setting them up. He probably left him with a little teaser. You know what? You're going to have to wait till tomorrow. <laughs> Come back tomorrow, and I'll give you the rest of the message. And the next day, what was he shouting when he looked at Christ coming toward him? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Incredible. For a Jew to hear that, that's incredible. John, when he baptized with water, the question is why? If a proselyte baptizes himself, why did he do it? He said, I baptize you with water. But this coming one who will come after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He did it because it kept the symbol correct. John was doing the baptism of all these people. How did he do it? He did it himself. Think about that. That's a lot of baptisms. And he did it all himself. No one was helping him. He didn't distribute it like sometimes you see on the beach. You know, you, they have big megachurches and they all go down to the ocean and get baptized. And they got like 10 pastors out there baptized. No, this was all done by John, by one person. See, and this is what their problem was. They were looking at John like, who do you think you are, pal? We know who you are. We grew up with you. And now you're out here. You say you're not the Messiah. You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. What gives you the right to baptize these people? And he's doing it for a principle. The principle of what his baptism in water was illustrating was the one who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit is an individual. It's not your religion. It's not a church. It's not some pastor. It's not a group of people who lay your, their hands on you. It's Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Messiah, the, the Lamb of God. He is the only one who can baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He is the only one. And this was symbolic of what John was doing. No one else can do it. That brings us down to verse 29, and he begins to talk about this proclamation of the true identity of Christ. He emphasized five things here about it. First of all was his payment 
his payment. We mentioned this a little bit last week because we had communion, but it's noticed there the payment in verse 29. He says, the next day he said, saw the, the, Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, singular. Not the sins, plural. The sin, singular, of the world. He emphasized his payment for sin. This is the first thing we see here. Remember, this is the Passover. This is what these people are coming from all over the region to do. To slay their lamb for the sins, for their sins. Josephus tells us that in one day they killed 256,000 lambs in one day. They had over 2,000 priests doing this. Talk about a bloodbath. Can't even imagine. One lamb goes for about 10 people, maximum of 20. And Ju- Ju- Jerusalem's population was generally around 250 to 300,000 normally. But during this time, when everyone was coming from all over, historians tell us it could, it could swell to three, three to five million people. So it was just packed, packed. I remember when we were on a cruise, they, we were talking to one couple and they were saying, oh, to go to the Greek islands. And they said, but we suggest you don't go on a cruise boat. And I said, why? And they said, oh, if there's more than one cruise ship on these small little islands, it's horrible. Because you have like 15,000, 20,000 people getting off these boats and trying to go to dinner and try to buy stuff. Because you can't even walk around. It's miserable. Go in the off-season and don't go on a boat, he said. It was, it was very interesting. That, and I pictured this, all these people just everywhere. It's just a mall of people. In the midst of all this, 18 miles down the Jordan River, all these folks are pouring out into the wilderness. It's the Passover season. They've heard about John out there. They're hearing this man preach, and all of a sudden, one day, Jesus, who's been standing in the crowd, comes toward John, and John proclaims, Behold the Lamb of God. As a Jew, you would go, what? What is he saying? Who takes away the sin of the world? See, this is very Jewish. The temple reminded a Jew of the Lamb of God. The temple was built on Mount Moriah where Abraham offered Isaac in Genesis 22. The whole foundation of Jewish thought, of the religious Judaism thought process is about and around the Lamb of God. And you remember that story in Genesis. Abraham was told to take his son, his only son, up and sacrifice him. And he's about ready to put the knife into his son Isaac, a young man at this time. You can only imagine them going up the the mountain and Isaac's looking around saying, hey, dad, I see the wood, I see your knife. Now we're building a fire. Uh, We're missing something. (laughs) Where's the lamb? You wonder if Abraham looked at his son and said, well, I hate to tell you this, son, but you're it. (laughs) No, I don't think he did that. Because he knew. He knew that God would provide. He said that God will provide a lamb for himself. His hope was in the whole promise of God. 
And every Jew who sacrifices his lamb at Passover, they always tell their children, by their children, the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. In other words, this is symbolic. Just like we put blood in a Jewish household on the doorpost when we left Egypt, remember that? It's only the Lord who can truly redeem us. It's only His Lamb that will provide for our need. I mean, can you imagine hearing that at Passover season, this John the Baptist shouting out in the wilderness, there He is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He won't just cover sin like all of our sacrifices of all these lambs have done for all these years in all of our ceremonies. But he will take it away. Wow. The sin of the world, the very presence, the essence of what sin is. It's not plural, it's singular, like I said. He'll take it as far away as the east is from the west. He'll remove our transgressions from us. Good place for amen, hallelujah, whatever you want to say. It's important that you understand that. I pray that you're glad you're saved here today. That you've trusted in the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He cleansed you from your sin. We sing to him, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That was one of the most startling things any Jewish audience could have heard in their life. That the Lamb of God, the one that we've been symbolizing all these years, he's here. Right now, among you. Secondly, he speaks of the preeminence and the preexistence of Christ. Look at verse 30. This is he of whom I said after me. Now remember, he was six months later born of the Virgin Mary. John was older. And he says here that he, after me comes a man who ranks before me. Because he was before me. What's he saying here? Jesus said there isn't anybody greater born among women than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist here, he says, no, he's the one that's preferred before me. He has that right. He speaks of the preeminence, the preexistence of Christ. Christ didn't come into existence when he was born of Mary. He always existed, because he's God. That was why we call it the incarnation. He came down to take on a human body. Why did he do that? Because he had to live a perfect life here on earth, in our skin, and then give himself up willingly to a cross, and then what? Die. God cannot die. God cannot die. So he had to take on a human body that would die. And he gave that up freely. And it was that sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice, that paid for our sins. He was before me, pre-existent Son of God, and he proclaimed him. And then in verse 32, he talks about the presence of the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 32, And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. 